When you think of the name Alfred Nobel, what do you think about? Nobel Peace Prize, right? I mean, it's probably this, the legacy that he, we think of him. But you, I don't know if you know the history of Alfred Nobel, but I found it interesting this week in thinking about what we're talking about today, the uh, beatitude we're talking about today, because we think about peace when we think about Alfred Nobel. If you read back in history, and I love history, and I went back and read some things about Alfred Nobel, it's interesting that back in the 1800s when he was uh, growing up, his dad was an armaments dealer. And uh, during a period of time, it's actually he uh, lost everything, and he grew up, and his mom was, Alfred Nobel's mom was uh, the main breadwinner in the family. And then when he grew up, he decided he wanted to go into the family business, and so he actually became a, a person who was a chemist. He was an engineer. He was an innovator. Really had very little formal education. He became fluent in six languages. I'm going like, wow, you know, very smart guy. But what he became known for was his, his greatest invention, and he had 300 and, over 350 patents, was dynamite. Dynamite was the thing that he invented that became known uh, because it was the stable way of creating something that was really, he thought about dynamite as something to be used in a useful way for building roads and for construction purposes. But of course what happened with dynamite in, in a lot of his inventions was is it became uh, methods of destruction in the world. And the interesting thing was, as he grew up, he grew up and as he lived his life, he lived it kind of a lonely life. He lived a life that was not uh, very good. He was never married. Uh, he uh, was depressed many times. He had a lot of issues in life. And when he was about uh, late, later in years, what actually happened that kind of led him to where we know him for today is the Nobel Peace Prize. In 1888, uh, uh, about uh, eight years before he was to die, what happened was his brother actually died when he was over uh, in a place. Uh, and, and erroneously, a French newspaper mistakenly published uh, Alfred's obituary, uh, thinking it was him, not his brother. And, and how would you like to you know, read in the paper your own obituary? Um, and, but the, what he had to say about him was this. It said they called him the merchant of death. They said that basically he was a person who became rich by finding ways to kill people faster than ever before because of his legacy that he was going to leave. Because of that uh, newspaper article and because of that, the, the way that people perceived him or began to understand, he, he understood how people perceived him, he began to ask himself some questions. And so the last eight years of his life, we found him redirected. And actually when he died, he left in his will uh, the bulk of his estate, which would probably be worth about $250 million today, the bulk of his estate to establish some, some prizes known eventually as the Nobel Prizes in science and literature and medicine. And the most famous one is the Nobel Peace Prize. It's interesting that he became concerned about the legacy that he was to have. What was he going to be called? Was he to be called the merchant of death? No, that's not what we know him for. We know him as a person of peace because of what he left behind him. So today when we read this verse in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, in this next beatitude, it says, Happy are the peacemakers. Happy are the peacemakers. For they will be called the sons of God or the children of God, based upon which translation you have. You know, what it says here is this. It, says, it doesn't say happy are the peace lovers. Everybody loves peace, right? We like peace. Uh, or it doesn't, uh, it doesn't say happy are the peaceable, those who never get disturbed by anything. It doesn't say that. It says happy are those who make peace, who actively seek to resolve 
conflict. Now, there's a couple of misconceptions today that I want to talk about very briefly before we go into talking about what this means, happy are the peacemakers, and what it means to be a peacemaker. Because sometimes we think that peacemaking is avoiding something. It's not avoiding. Peacemaking is not avoiding anything. It's not running from the problem. It's not pretending it doesn't exist. None of us like conflict, so often what do we do? We avoid it. Peacemaking is not avoiding conflict, not, the, it not, not putting it off, because you know what happens when we avoid conflict? Does it go away? It gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So it's not, it's not avoiding. Also, uh, peacemaking is not giving in. It's not appeasement. That's the big word. I just used the word. It's not giving in. It's not letting the other person have their own way. You let, you know, it's not letting people run over you. It's not passivity. It's, it's Jesus, you know, if you look at Jesus' life, Jesus spoke the truth in love, but he spoke the truth. He didn't just let people run. He spoke, he spoke clearly to certain issues in people's lives. I mean, if you, re- if you read the remainder of the Sermon on the Mount, after chapter 5, chapter 6, and 7, you will not find some easy things that Jesus, you know, Jesus had an opinion on things. And, and if, if anybody's opinions, opinion counts, it's Jesus's. I mean, I, I don't necessarily think that we need to have, you know, an opinion show. But the thing is, is that Jesus' opinion counts. He had an opinion. It wasn't appeasement. He didn't try to appease people. He spoke the truth and he spoke it in love. It's not giving in. That's not what peacemaking is. The next question that came to mind was this, why should I be a peacemaker then if, if it's not these things? Well, uh, first of all, if, if, you're, if you're not a peacemaker, if, if you have unresolved conflict in your life, what does it do to your life? Well, it blocks your fellowship with God. That's the first thing it does. It blocks your fellowship with God. First John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21 says, How can a man say I love God and hate his brother at the same time? See, the thing is, is that if, if we have this... Uh, problem with somebody else, God says to us, the Bible says to us clearly, it blocks that relationship. It doesn't mean you can't have a relationship with God, but it blocks a close fellowship with God. I tell people in premarital counseling all the time, I draw, draw a triangle and I say this, if you want to grow in your relationship with each other, the key to growing in your relationship with each other is growing in your relationship with God. It's like you're on the bottom side of the triangle, God's up here. The closer you grow, go to God, God what, what's going to happen? The closer you get to each other. But what happens if you have conflict on these levels, you forget about God and it keeps you far away from God. In a real sense, that's what it's talking about. So if I have unresolved conflict in my life, it blocks fellowship with God. Secondly, it prevents answered prayer. You're going to do what? Yeah, the Bible says that. Not that God doesn't listen, but mainly it puts this cloud between you and God. And for, I love this, the translation in the Living Bible. I usually don't use the Living Bible a lot, but I like the translation so much I used it this morning. 1 Peter 3, 7 says this. Husbands, if you don't treat your wife right, forget about praying. Boy, is that kind of straightforward. You know, I mean, you can't get any straighter than that. I mean, if you don't treat your wife, forget about praying. It's basically saying, I mean, if, because the, the issue is nothing can substitute reconciliation. If you're having a hard time getting an answer to prayer, guess what? Look at your relationships. Check out your relationships. Maybe the problem is not God, it's you. That's what it's trying to say to us here. It's, it prevents answered prayer. Another reason we should be a peacemaker is this. It hinders my happiness. It hinders my happiness. In Job 18, 4, it says, You are only hurting yourself with your anger. You're only hurting yourself with your anger. Resentment is dumb. Let's just say that. Resentment is dumb. 
Because when you get resentful, it monopolizes your attention. That's all you can think about is the other person. Just, just be honest. And a lot of times the other person's not even thinking about you. But it monopolizes your attention, your time. It, it, it tears you up inside. Uh, so being a peacemaker helps in a lot of different ways. Now, this morning what I want to do is spend the bulk of our time talking about how to be a peacemaker. What is, God says here not just to be a peacekeeper, not just to be a person who avoids conflict, but he says be a peacemaker, a person who resolves conflict in our lives. He says that's the person who is happy. Happy are the peacemakers. For they will be called the children of God, the sons of God. And, and how do you do that? Well, the Bible tells us all kinds of ways of doing that, but I chose just five this morning from Scripture, and I think the key things that help us to understand this whole thing about how to be a peacemaker. Number, number one is this. If we're going to be a peacemaker, we must pursue peace. You must pursue peace. You must go after it. Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24 says this, and this is kind of a taking part of the verses and put it together. It says, if... You remember your brother has something against you. Go at once and make to make peace. You take the initiative. You take the initiative. As a believer, as a Christian, as a, as a follower of Christ, we're called to be peacemakers, to be like God. You take the initiative. See, it doesn't matter if you're the offended or the offender. The Bible tells us that we're to be the person who takes the initiative. I remember once again in history, a history lesson in the late 1970s, there was a lot of turmoil going on in the Middle East between some of the Arab countries and, and, and Israel. And the, big, the biggest two countries that were going at each other was Egypt and Israel. And the leader at that time of Egypt was a guy named Anwar Sadat. Anwar Sadat was, was the person who... who followed his conscience and realized this, if we're going to have any kind of resolution here, I've got to take the initiative. And so he took the initiative and he began to make, try to make overtures toward peace that lay, led to the, what they called the Camp David uh, uh, meetings, which eventually led to peace. And he actually won, along with uh, Begin, who was the Israeli prime minister, they actually won the, the, the uh, Nobel Peace Prize that year. But he took the initiative. Was it a popular decision? No. A lot of his other Arab brothers felt that he sold them out. Eventually it led to a coup, which actually he was, he, he was assassinated down the road. But the thing was, he realized to make peace, and to this day, Egypt probably has, has, has had the, the, the most middle-of-the-road relationship, and it's been a place where uh, there's been a lot of uh, things going on there, not perfect, but at least it began a process of making peace there. So God tells us, if we're going to be a peacemaker, you have to be the person who takes the initiative. Why? Because Jesus said so. You know, Edward said as a parent, do this because I say so? What does your kids usually say? Why? Okay, yeah, why? Yeah, okay, well, maybe your kids aren't like my kids. My kids question my authority sometimes. Um, don't like it, but, you know, I deal with it, and uh, they pay consequences. But anyway... Um, but the issue is this, why the initiative? Jesus says so because you're more mature. See, the person who's more mature makes the, takes the initiative in making peace because it's the right thing to do. See, conflict is not resolved accidentally. People don't fall into peace accidentally. They have to pursue it, and you have to be the one who de deals with it. And how do you, when do you deal with it? it well, you know what it says here? It says go at once. See, the longer I wait to resolve a conflict, the more difficult it's going to be to resolve it, Right? 
If you leave it hanging out, it just gets worse and worse and worse over a period of time. And so the first thing, if we're to be a peacemaker, you have to pursue peace. You have to be the person who initiates, regardless of whether you're either the offender or the offended. Number two, if I'm going to be a peacemaker, I need to empathize with their feelings. It's interesting in Philippians 2.4 what it says. It says, none of you should think only of his own affairs, but consider other people's interests also. It says we need to pay attention to other people. When you're upset with somebody, when you're upset, what are you thinking about? Me. Mine. My needs. My hurts. See, God says reverse that. Focus on their needs, their hurts. See, parents have to be peacemakers as well with your kids. Uh, sometimes it's when they're little, they're tug of wars over things, right? Toys, things like that. And you have to be the peacemaker. Uh, you have to listen to your kids, be sensitive and empathize with their needs and figure out why they're doing what they're doing, why are they arguing over this. One of the values of conflict, though, is this, is when you solve the conflict, it opens the door to closer intimacy in your relationships. When you begin to work toward con- resolving conflict in relationship. It opens the door to better intimacy. You know why? Because when you do that, the only way to do it is you've got to listen and understand and empathize. And to do that, the thing is, is that that's one of the ways of making peace. So not only must we pursue peace, we must empathize with our feelings. The third thing we need to do is to attack the problem, not the person. Attack the problem, not the person. You can't focus on fixing the problem and fixing the blame at the same time. It's impossible. I love Proverbs 15.1, which says this, The gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Um, what we're to do when we to be a peacemaker is we need to engage our mind before you engage your mouth. Let me say that again. We need to engage our mind before we engage our mouth. We need to, in a real sense, be sincere, not sarcastic. I mean, how many people, don't look at them either, how many people, you know, say things in a sarcastic kind of joking matter, but you know what they're doing. It's like a knife. It's what they're doing. That's not being a peacemaker. That doesn't work. All it does is raise more problems. You don't get the point across by being cross. It's don't criticize, condemn, and compare. Ephesians 4.29 says this. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say, everything you say, be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. It says this in regard to being a peacemaker. Don't be criticizing and comparing. Say things that will build people up, not put them down. If you want to know how to do that, you don't know how to do that in a relationship and marriage, there's a great book that came out a few years ago called The Language of Love by Gary Smalley. It talks about the ways we talk to each other and how people hear things and the different love languages. It's kind of a, it sounds kind of strange, but the issue is it really talks about it in a real, uh, it's been one of the most helpful books. I've talked to many people about it in their relationship with their spouse. Because they began to understand, okay, this is, this is how I can talk, how, this is how I can en- encourage my spouse. And it also helps in the relationships with other people as well by learning us to listen and figure out and, and empathize with people where they are. And it's not attacking the problem, but attacking the, uh, but not, attack the problem, not the person. 
So that's the third thing. I'll go through three of these, three or four of these real quick. The last one I'm going to hang out on for a few minutes, okay? So don't think you're going to get it done early today, okay? <clears throat> Number four, okay? Number four is this. Cooperate as much as possible. Cooperate as much as possible. You need to, if you're going to be a peacemaker, you need to go with the spirit of compromise. What can we agree on? What can we do together? Romans 12, 18 says this, do everything possible on your part. Underline, circle, on your part. Because that's the part I want you to focus on. To live at peace with all men. Do everything possible on your part. See, the hallmark of a Christian ought to be your ability to get along with other people well. So often we think the hallmark of Christianity is how much Bible we know or how much, how much we, we pray or sing or give or whatever like that. Those are all good things. But when the rubber meets the road, the thing for Christians is this. How do you get along with other people? Well, are you a peacemaker? Remember when Jesus uh, uh, said, uh, told the mark of believers how we would be known? He says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have great bumper stickers, right? You know, I love Jesus. Honk if you do too. Or, you know, stupid things like that. No, it's not what he said. What he said was, by this all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. How is that exemplified? People that have love for one another cooperate with one another. They go in the same direction. Doesn't mean they always agree, but they go in the same direction. Peace always has a price. If you want peace in your home, in your marriage, there's always a price. You know what that price is? It's your ego. It's your rights. It's your self-centeredness, your selfishness. You've got to give up your pride, your ego. That's the cost for the price of peace. You know, the three, what are the three most difficult words in the English language for somebody to say? I was wrong. I was wrong. Those are the three most difficult words for us to say because that's compromise, cooperation. Back, if you were like me, you're my age, most of you, some of you won't remember this, but those are younger. But back in the 70s, there was this incredibly dumb movie. It was called Love Story. Remember the love story? Remember what the key thing was in love story? The, the, the phrase that everybody remembers that heard love story? Love means never having to say you're sorry. That is the absolute dumbest phrase in the history of, of television and, and movies. Because, because we know this, and that's dead wrong. Love means saying you're sorry over and over and over. And over. I mean, how many t- over. I mean, how many ever overs you need? Love means having to say you're sorry because in relationships, we hurt other people. Guess why? Because we're imperfect. Every one of us. I've hurt other people. You've hurt other people. We hurt other people in relationships. Sometimes, hopefully, most of the time, accidentally. Sometimes, intentionally. And so we have to cooperate as much as possible. That has to be the direction of our, of, our, of, our, uh, of our conversations. Do everything possible on your part to live at peace with all men. And then in James 3.17 it says this, And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. You know what it's saying? Whatever you sow is what you're going to reap. If, you're, if you want people to cooperate with you, guess what you have to do? You have to be willing to cooperate with them. If you want people to compromise with you, you have to 
compromise with them. Whatever you're dishing out is what you're getting back. See, if you've got conflict in your family, somehow you're probably dishing out some problems that causes the conflict. It takes two for conflict. So look and ask yourself this question. What can I do? What seeds am I planting? If you're always planting seeds of griping or complaining or arguing or hassling or putting down your mate, guess what you're going to get back? Conflict. So start planting seeds of peace and compromise. Empathize with their feelings and take the initiative. Don't wait for them. Go to them first. You know, and, and there's a couple of interesting passages in Scripture that if you take them together, it, it tells us everything about it. In Matthew 5 and in Mark 11, there's two different verses that deal with this. One of them says that when somebody offends you, go to them. The other one says when you offend them, you go to them. Either way, what does it say? You go to them. You take the initiative. You be the mature person. So all I'm saying this morning is grow up. Okay? I'm saying it to me, I'm saying it to you, I'm saying to all of us. Grow up. Maturity in the Christian faith, maturity, God wants us to be peacemakers, and for the, we're the person who has to take the initiative. We're the people that have to take the initiative. Okay, that's number four. Last point, number five. Number five is this. If we're going to be peacemakers, we need to emphasize, empathize, imp, imp, I got too many empathizers this morning. Emphasize reconciliation, not resolution. Now hear me again. If we're going to be peacemakers, we need to emphasize reconciliation, not resolution. What's the difference? See, reconcile means to establish, reestablish a relationship. It does not mean you resolve all the problems. A lot of times when you have a problem with someone... You have some legitimate, honest differences between husband and wives, employers and employees, men and women. There are major differences between men and women. Do I need to tell you about what they are? You know, women, this is not a put down, okay, do not take offense to this. Women talk more than guys. Did you all ever notice that, guys? Women on average speak 25,000 to 30,000 words a day. This is a study. I'm not, I didn't make this up, Okay. Men speak anywhere from fifteen to 18,000 words a day. There's this gap. And so there's a difference there. There's a difference in the way we process information. Women are more uh, compassionate and caring. It's not that guys don't care. We just don't do it as well as women do. But the issue is, is that there's differences, and so we have to reconcile those differences. Uh, we have to bring about reconciliation. They're honest differences. And, and sometimes if you focus on resolution, uh, you will never really get past anything. See, reconciliation means you bury the hatchet, not the issue. You keep talking about it, but you talk about it in harmony. You can disagree agreeably. You can t walk arm in arm together without seeing eye to eye. You can have reconciliation without resolution on every problem. See, reconciliation focuses on the relationship. Resolution focuses on the issue, the problem. And what Jesus and what God is saying to us in his word, he says, if you want to be a peacemaker, you need to focus upon reconciliation, the relationship. First. Then work on the problem. Together. Agree that we love each other, we care for each other. Then we'll work through this problem together. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, all, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, God models what he wants us to do. 
And the synonym for peacemaker is reconciler, one who brings people together. God sent Jesus Christ to us so that we can be reconciled with him. We can be brought together with him. At Christmas, we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. Can you believe Christmas is almost here? I can't believe it. It snuck up on me this year. Six, it's less than six weeks away. Did you realize that? Some of you are going, <gasps> maybe it's seven. I don't know. I didn't really count this morning. But I know we're kind of mid, we're mid-November, and it's like, you know, so about six weeks away, we got Christmas coming up here real quick. During the Christmas season, we talk about all the names of Jesus. What was one of his names? It was called, he was called the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. What does that mean? It's, it's, see, Jesus came so that we could have peace with God. God is the original peacemaker. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. What he has modeled, he now wants us to do with other people. It says we, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation, this ministry of making, a pe- making peace with people. Because when you help restore relationships, what you're doing, you're doing what God would do. So going back to the original verse we started with, it says, Happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. God says that when, we do, when we're a peacemaker, we're doing exactly what God would do, because that's what God's nature is. Now, who can be a peacemaker this morning? Is that a good question? Who can be a peacemaker? You can, and I can. Anybody can be a peacemaker, but first you have to have peace on the, ins- on the inside of you. You know, when we began this series back a few weeks ago, we talked about the first step, the first thing that Jesus talked about when he said in the first beatitude was what? Anybody remember? Poor in spirit, which dealt with what? An inner, an inner attitude we have about humility toward God, placing yourself before God and saying, God, I can't do it on my own. See, every one of these Beatitudes deals with that, that same, that same thing. It says to be a peacemaker, we can realize it's an outward manifestation of an, of an inner thing that happens in our life. When you humble yourself before God, when you seek God's help in your life, what happens is one of the things that comes out of your life was that you become a peacemaker. See, you have peace on the inside first, and you can't spread peace if you're on a war, at war on the, on the outside. And on the inside as well. So only what you have, have can you offer to others. See, when I'm expecting everybody else to meet my needs, that's what we often do in our world today. We expect other people to meet our needs, and then they don't do it. I get ticked off, and we have conflict. But the thing is, God says, I never intended for you to have all your needs met by another person. The reason why some of you have rotten relationships is because you have a war going on inside of you. Some of you are asking other people to meet needs that they will never be able to meet, the deepest needs of your heart. So what do you do? How do you find your missing peace, the peace that God wants you to have? The Bible says clearly this. You allow God to come into your life. You meet Jesus. He comes into your life. You invite him into your life. And because of that, Jesus says, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but my peace. It's a peace that comes from the inside. It has nothing to do with the outward circumstances of life. See, often we talked about in the beginning of the series that so often in life we look for happiness where? On all the externals, stuff and power and all the different things that we look at in life. But real peace in life, real joy in life, real happiness in life doesn't come through that. It comes through an inner relationship with God. It begins by humbling ourselves before God and and saying to God, I can't do it myself. I love Colossians 3.15. It says this, let the peace of Christ 
rule in your hearts. You know what that word, word rule is? I was talking to Dan, Dan Haney this morning. He's taking Greek. Bless you, Dan. Uh, he's, uh, I remember Greek from years ago in, in, in seminary and college. And, and I and taught New Testament. The New Testament was written in Greek, Koine Greek. And, and it's, it, I'm not a language person, so it was always a struggle with me. But I go back and look at some of the Greek words and remind me because uh, when I read this, it said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What's the word rule mean? Well, in the Greek, the, word, the, the closest English word to that is the word umpire. Umpire. It means that somebody, it's somebody who calls the shots, somebody who keeps you in boundaries, a referee, somebody who keeps the game going and keeps us on focus. See, when you have the peace with God, then you get the peace of God in your life. And when you have the peace of God, then you can have peace with other people. That's the order. It only comes by having a relationship with God. You let the peace of God rule, referee, guard your heart. See, that's the missing element for so many people in their lives and so often why they have so much unhappiness is because they're not at peace. Happy are the peacemakers. Why? First of all, because they're at peace with themselves because they have the peace of God in their life. Second, because God says they'll be rewarded for it by receiving the peace of God. Now, I want to close this morning by saying this. I want to make a challenge out of Scripture. Um, What do you need to do because of what the scripture has to say? I think it's straightforward and pretty easy. Some of us need to get on the phone and make peace with someone. We need to sit down with them face to face and make peace with someone. Uh, Maybe you need to call up a person you've been estranged from for a period of time, whether it be a relative, a friend, a friend, a former friend, an employer, somebody who you still have resentment in your life toward. How do you know that it's not settled, that you need to make peace with them? Well, let me tell you a couple of clues. Do you still think about it and rehearse it over and over in your mind on a regular basis? Are you still uh, thinking about it today when I mention that? Now, I'm not saying that you're going to resolve all the issues. I am saying this, though. You need to take the initiative. That's what Scripture says. What if you call up that person and they say, you say to them, I'd like to get together and see if we can patch things up, and they say to you, no. What do you do? Well, you've done your part. You've, you've initiated it. It doesn't mean you stop, but you've done your part. The Bible says do everything possible on your part to live at peace with all men. See, you're not responsible for their response. I'm not saying you should bury the issue. You probably still have meaningful differences with that person. But to be able to say to that person, in my heart, I've released the resentment I have toward you, that means that I'm beginning the process of being a peacemaker. See, their attitude is up to them. In fact, it doesn't really matter how they respond. Because you're not responsible for them. You're responsible as a Christian, as a believer, as a person who's pursuing God to be a peacemaker, someone who takes the initiative. You have done your part, and when you've done your part and you continue to seek to do your part, to be a peacemaker, reconcile of relationships, our Father looks down from heaven and says what? That's my child. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called what? The children of God. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, 
go to greatoakcc.org.